Well, Merry Christmas again um, to you here and to you joining us at home or wherever you are right now. I'm saying Merry Christmas and I'm going to keep saying Merry Christmas for some time. It's only the second day of Christmas and the church we spend time through the season of Advent waiting for Christmas and we don't hurry to let it be over with either. So this week is Christmas. Next Sunday is the second Sunday of Christmas tide. There is lots of Merry Christmas still to come. And I hope that you've had the opportunity to eat something special over the last few days or maybe in the next few days, whether it's been a meal shared with family or friends, a Christmas treat dropped off by a neighbor or favorite that you whipped up for yourself. Food is such an important part of any joyous thing, any celebration. Food, in fact, is a gift from God. Food isn't only connected with celebration, though, and It's sometimes also connected with much strife, as we heard in that passage from Exodus. That passage might have struck you as a particularly strange reading to hear on the first Sunday of Christmastide. And I'll be honest, it is to some degree. But it gives us important context about who Jesus is and what Jesus does for us. It also makes it quite clear just how important food is to us. Maybe food is one of the main ways that you've made it through some of the toughest days of this pandemic. I know that there's been plenty of eating of feelings in our household, so maybe that's familiar for you as well. And we see in Exodus how important food was for the Israelites as well. While they had been slaves in Egypt, food was the thing that made everything seem okay at times. Pots of meat, all the food they could have wanted. Now, whether or not that was actually true, or if it was just those rose-colored glasses that we all sometimes have about the past, we don't know. But it certainly seemed to be true to them in the moment, that things were better before, that they had more before. Even the pain of slavery seemed better than freedom, because at least in Egypt there was food. And now it seemed that freedom could very well mean starving to death. But God knows how important food is for us. At creation, God gave fruit-bearing trees that people could eat. And occasions for feasting and celebration have been prescribed in God's law. In fact, God also ensured that some measure of food would always be available to priests and to the poor, to people who did not have land of their own to work. This is something God was mindful of as well. But in the desert... In the desert, it seemed like the god of vineyards couldn't produce a crop. That in the desert, the god of feasting was letting his children starve. Maybe you felt that way at some point. Like God didn't care, or maybe God wasn't able to meet your needs. Like your past was so much better. Like wherever God has led you, and maybe even where God has led our church, is a place of barrenness a place of want and of need, a place where God has abandoned us rather than providing for us. That's certainly what the Israelites felt. I think it's something that all God's people have felt at one time or another. But then, but then bread from heaven, bread which may not have been the delicious loaves of sourdough that I know some of you have been baking over the last two years, but it was enough. 
It was always enough to meet their needs. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone could have exactly how much they needed. This has not been the story of our world, and the need for enough still plagues many. In our city, in Toronto, one of the wealthiest cities and one of the wealthiest countries on the planet, people line up for bread from food banks. Food banks are where some of the Christmas meals for our own church family have come from in the last week. Bread remains an important ministry to this day. And at the same time that that's happening, at the same time that some are lining up for free bread, others in our city, and yes, others in our church, are lining up to purchase artisanally crafted loaves, $10 each. Two very different bread lines. It seems as though in our day, the one who gathers much does, in fact, have too much. And the one who gathers little does have too little. And it is into just such a world that Jesus is born. No longer fed by heavenly bread in the wilderness, people have been gathering too much for themselves, leaving too little for others for generations now. Empires have risen and fallen, and the current empire orders a census be taken. And that means that Mary and Joseph and the unborn Jesus must leave home to be counted. And there isn't going to be enough for them there. The logistics of this census seem maybe like the logistics of booster vaccination doses, right? They haven't been thought out particularly well. And there isn't enough room for them in Bethlehem. Isn't enough room for the Holy Family to stay. And so who knows if there was enough of every other kind of provision in this town for all the people who would be coming. Imagine, imagine if Mary and Joseph were at all like the Israelites that we heard about in the Exodus, that partway through their journey to a new promised land, a place where the Messiah would come and his reign would abound, that they would begin to complain that back home in Nazareth, before those angels appeared, things were pretty good longing for pots of meat that did not meet their true needs, and all the while oblivious to the truth that manna from heaven was now present in Mary's womb, was already on earth, was already prepared to meet all of their needs. Fortunately, fortunately for us and fortunately for the world, the Holy Family trusts God. We do not read about their longing for Nazareth, we read of their joy in the provision of a child who is the Messiah, who will care for them, who will deliver our whole world. As Jesus pronounces of himself in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And while Jesus announcing it for us is supremely helpful, the signs are already there, littered throughout the story of his birth. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew literally means house of bread. The bread of life is born in the house of bread. But many people are born in Bethlehem, and so as if a finer point needed to be put on it, 
he is placed in a manger, bread for the world, placed in an animal's feeding trough. The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Manna in the wilderness, it didn't give life to the world. It sustained the Israelites for a time, but it was only a sign. It was only a sign pointing to the true bread from heaven, the complete provision for the world, the person of Jesus Christ. G.K. Chesterton wrote, Christmas is built upon a beautiful and intentional paradox that the birth of the homeless should be celebrated in every home. The Lord of the universe entered into time and space to meet our needs, and he does so first by experiencing the needs of the very least. Without shelter, without bed, Jesus comes to us first for those who have known need, that in him they should have enough. Jesus is the new way in which God is providing for the needs of the world. No longer manna in the wilderness, but now living bread in this child sent from heaven. In Jesus, we have received the gift of bread. Bread better than all the sourdough that I've seen on all of your Instagrams. Bread that will not let us go hungry. Bread that supplies all of our needs. Bread from heaven. At Christmas, we remember that we have been given the gift of enough to satisfy every longing ache which pains our very spirits. The gift is given as a child, a child born in the house of bread, laid in a manger, a child who is the bread of life for you and for me and for all who are far off. We may at times still be tempted to see this gift of Jesus as something that has made things worse, not better. To be nostalgic for the darkness which once felt comfortable to us. The chains which felt more like protection than captor. The ignorance which was our bliss. But just as no pot of meat under slavery was better than the freedom and manna of the wilderness, even though the wilderness was hard, so too we know that no familiarity of the darkness of this world is better than the coming of the light which we remember at Christmas, though these days are also hard. We might imagine our own version of pots of meat in the face of what feels sometimes like the meager supply of daily bread. We might desire something more than what this Christmas story has to offer to us, something more than this child, something more than what God has promised to the world, which is enough, just enough, but enough that is good for all. We might desire something lavish and rich for today, we name in the season of Advent our longing for the coming of a world that is set right, and that's a good longing. We should still wait for it. But that work begins in this way. Something simple and small that's actually bigger than the world itself. It begins with a child in a manger. And it continues now with actions of love and devotion empowered by the Spirit of God in the face of a world where darkness still seems to reign and where death still continues to wreak its havoc.
In the face of such trouble, pots of meat or whatever else might seem like better provision than daily bread. But these things are just a distraction from the truth of how good Jesus is for us. How good this bread of life is for us, that it sustains us, meets not only our needs, but the needs of the whole world. And that ultimately, it comes with a promise. A promise that one day we will feast. That one day we will know more than bread, but also milk and honey and wine. When the life which this bread provides to us has caused life to rise up in us as well. So having received this tremendous gift, that once more the one who gathers much and the one who gathers little should each have what they need, find alike that they do not have too much or too little, that God's provision is provided freely and abundantly to all who should seek it. It's no wonder that Christmas then is also a season of generosity. We who have much are reminded of the poverty of our world and the poverty of the world that our Lord was born into. And we are encouraged to respond to the generosity of God with generosity of our own. So too, we who have little see in the infant in a manger that God has a plan to provide for us. And it is not in the miserly accounting of the little which we have where we will find that our needs are met. Rather, it is in turning to the one who knows that we need bread and who became bread for us. And so we are generous. We are generous with our time, offering to be hands and feet, presence and voice, wherever these things will be most useful, that we might join God in that ministry of daily bread, of life for the world. We give generously of our talents, applying those natural gifts and learned skills that we have honed in school or in our trade or in our homes. Applying these things to the work and the ministry of the church, to the ongoing revelation of Jesus to the world that he so desires to feed. And we are generous with our resources giving to support the work of the church, sharing with family and friends who we know still suffer want, offering what we do have so that others may receive this blessing of Emmanuel, even as we already know that presence of God with us. Christmas comes with an invitation, an invitation to believe that this child of God is God with us, is God for us is good for us and is good for our world. That the gift of the Messiah born to us is enough for us. That he can be the provision that we need even in a pandemic, even in those long nights and cold days. Despite all loneliness and trouble and danger, that truly we should find that all of our hopes and fears have been met in him, satisfied at last in him. If we believe that, if it is true for us individually and true for us as a church, then the good news of Christmas spurs us on to participate in the generosity of our God because we know that we will have enough. And so now we can share with others in the name of the one who gave his very self to be bread for us and bread for our world. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the bread of life. You are the bread of God sent down from heaven to give life to the world. And we thank you that that is who you are. And more than who you are, it is what you're doing still today. As we celebrate your birth and your coming among us, would you help us to believe that you are enough for us, that you are enough to meet all of our needs, that you are the one who will provide abundant life to us, to our neighbors, to the city and to the world. Make us a people who believe in abundance, an abundance of good things from you, who don't long for better things that actually harm us, that are actually worse for us. We pray that you would stir in our hearts and in our minds, that you give us an imagination for your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. We invite you to take some time to reflect on what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you from these scriptures, from these words. And so a few questions. You don't have to think about these questions. Maybe something else caught your mind, um, but some thoughts here. First, what are the pots of meat that are distracting you from accepting the gift of daily bread provided by the bread of life? And second, what needs do you need met? And what needs might you be able to help meet in others? And finally, an invitation to pray that God would continue to provide daily bread for you, for our church, and for the world.